right, welcome to Overboost number 10. Overboost is a podcast interview series featuring discussions with speedrunners about their history in speedrunning, gaming, and the runs that they're passionate about. Uh, I am your host, PMC Trilogy, and with me today is Pete Dorr. Pete, how are you? I'm doing quite well. You know, I got my air conditioner blasting right now on this hot summer day, but I'm glad to be here talking about speedruns because I don't really get too many opportunities to talk with like-minded speedrunners about, you know, one of my new favorite hobbies, so... Yeah, you know, it's really fun to give a little little background on on how I discovered you. I think this is this this tells a lot about maybe what, what you do is that I think I first saw your name on the Mobile Suit Gundam Journey to Jaburo leaderboard, the uh, PlayStation 2 Gundam game. And then the thing that made me uh click on your stream when I was browsing the retro directory on Twitch one day was that you uh I saw I saw you, I saw Smuggler's Run and I saw Splits and I said, "Well, I have to click on that stream." Uh, I don't think you ever finished a Smuggler's Run speedrun, but that definitely, I think, shows some of what you've been doing. That is a very brutal, brutal speedrun. Yeah, I have to give credit to, uh, I think his name is Spark City that had the world record on that. I watched his run, and I'm like, man, that seems doable. And then I started playing it again because it's a very nostalgic game for me. And I'm like, holy moly, this game is a heck of a lot harder than I ever remembered it being. And then I know you popped in, and you were showing interest, and I'm like, wow, I just never expected anybody besides myself and that original runner to have interest in smuggler's run so it's kind of cool to see yeah it's a game i have a lot of nostalgia for but it is absolutely a very punishing game and it's also true for the, the sequel too that i i played and i was like oh i could speed run this too and then i said you know it's not not worth it this time uh to start the conversation i always like to sort of check in on what the the runner you know is up to currently and I know for for you, I feel like your stream has really been been popping off lately uh, with some big milestones. I don't know if you want to brag about anything, but I was also going to ask if you attributed that to anything in particular, if it was certain games or, or other types of streams, just to give you know people listening an idea of like what's hot for you right now. What's hot for me right now is not speedrunning. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's actually really funny um, because I, I I was actually getting really addicted to speedrunning, right? And you know. You know how that is. When you when you first get into speedrunning, it's like it's an addiction. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm never gonna be able to play games any other way now because all I'm thinking about is just running a timer, you know, improving, getting better personal best. And I was getting pretty obsessed with it in the last, you know, last year. And I'm like, all right, I gotta scale this back, right? Because you gotta be respective uh, uh, of your viewers that may not be in the speedrunning. Because I am like true variety where I'm doing casual all genres all systems speed running non-speed running and i do get people that tell me they're like yeah look i just speed running is not for me uh you know i just i can't watch somebody beat a game over and over and over and reset over and over and i'm like i respect that so i said all right 2020 we're gonna do things a little differently we're gonna scale back the speed running i'm gonna really try hard not to do as much and i went like three months without doing any speed running and i'm sort of relapsing right now <laughs> lately uh i've been because I've been having viewers pick games for me to stream, and uh, one of them was Gungrave on the PlayStation 2. I've really drawn the PlayStation 2 speedruns, and when I finished that game, it was a really quick game. I'm like, this is this would be an amazing speedrun. So I spent an hour uh, or an evening rather speedrunning that, and had a lot of fun with it. And that kind of that reopened my speedrunning desires again. So I started looking into other runs like Eternal Ring on PlayStation 2, which is a from software first person RPG. Um, had a lot of fun with that. And then most recently, actually today, right before even coming on to record this, I was dabbling a little bit in a game we're going to be talking about tonight, which is Eco, 
my favorite game of all time. I was actually kind of practicing that for running a little bit. Um, but yeah, my stream, thank you for asking, by the way, and acknowledging, yeah, my stream's been doing really well. And I, I do attribute that to not too much speed running, right? It's a delicate balance of finding how much is too much when it comes to speed running on a variety channel. And, and how do you balance that with casual playthroughs? And, um, it's very obvious to me that most people do prefer casual streaming, but I can't deny my love for speedrunning. So sorry that was a little long winded. No, 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 that's perfect because I, I think what you, what you're saying is is especially when you're streaming for an audience, you need to find the right balance uh, for yourself of what you want to play, but also as, you know as someone who is doing it for an audience, you do want to find that balance uh, for the people who are watching you. You know what what is it? That they, that they want to see, and this is actually a really good. I was hoping you would you would do this because you gave me an excellent segue. Normally, I would start these interviews by asking how you got into gaming, but you already made a very good thirty minute video called "How I Became a Retro Game Collector," which answers most of those questions in terms <laughs> of you know picking up from your family uh, and things like that. So I figured for this interview, the best approach. Considering that you know that my regular overboost listeners are going to be coming from a speedrun centric perspective, and maybe they've seen you before, maybe they know Pete Dore as the guy who got you know an Atari Jaguar run in or a Sega thirty two X or most recently or more recently the Panasonic three D O uh, Doctor Hauser. So they've seen you before and they know you do a wide variety of games. And I was hoping that maybe for for that audience, could you just talk uh, briefly about sort of your history. I guess being uh, being public with, with gaming, and so I, I think what I mean primarily by that is YouTube. I don't want to limit to YouTube because I feel like when I've been looking up, when I've looked up what you've done, I see a lot of things on YouTube, uh, and I see you know, videos from conventions, things like that. And so I was hoping that maybe you could clue in uh, you know, regular Overboost listeners to you know to what does Pete Door do outside? Of, what, what was Pete Door before speedrunning? Before you got addicted to speedrunning, what was it like? Right, so. Just early on, um, I had always sort of gravitated towards such a young age. I always gravitated towards the really weird consoles, right? Like, I, my first real console was a Sega Genesis, and I always loved playing platformers on that thing. But I, I was finding that having a family that was supportive of my love for games, I was really looking into consoles like the Jaguar and things like the Sega 32X, um, and, you know, the Virtual Boy and the 3DO, you know, I was more interested in the really unique facets of the retro gaming scene and looking into games that most people were kind of largely ignoring. So I sort of, from a young age, had this um, this seed planted of kind of delving into the lesser loved and undiscovered games. Eventually, I found a big break and because like, you know, this a podcast like this, it reminds me of when I was trying to get my voice out there, right? Like I was trying to do solo podcasts i was trying to write reviews on websites do video game uh blogs and everything i'm like man i just want to share my passion for games with people and then youtube had come around in I don't, I, whatever year it was i the first time i tried dabbling in it was 2006 i made a couple videos with really a really janky setup i didn't stick with it but i returned two years later and i focused more on like on-camera appearances and talking about my games what i picked up lately and if it, it might be hard for people to uh, understand this concept of back in 2008, the thought of somebody appearing on camera and showing their game collection, like saying, hey, this is my collection of Xbox 360 games, or this is my collection of PlayStation 2 games. It was pretty much unheard of in 2008. 
And I know that's very prominent today. However, I was one of the people that really helped start this trend of sharing collecting-based content on YouTube. And it kind of snowballed from there. Um, my channel just kept on growing and growing. Fast forward to now, where after you know doing a lot of YouTube content over the years, I eventually transitioned over to doing Twitch pretty much full-time, uh, like five years ago, because I just enjoy playing games in real time and chatting with people rather than just making reviews and only doing that kind of stuff. And my history at speedrunning is really kind of funny because I remember people would always ask me, you know, what do you, what do you think about speedrunning? And I said, there's no way in, in hell that we will, that you'll ever see me speedrunning a game. I mean, why would I want to beat games fast, right? I want to take my time and take everything in with these games. And I remember I started watching GDQ a lot more around then, uh, which was about 2016. I started really like getting into games done quick, 2015, 2016. And after I think like the second or third year I had watched it, I'm like, this, I need to give this a try, right? There's something magical about speedrunning in the sense of community around it. So the first game that I looked into was Splatterhouse, the arcade version. And at the time I had a version on the FM Towns Marty, which is a really obscure system from Japan. And I, oh, do you have an FM Towns Marty? Yeah, I do. That's, I mean, I, I shouldn't be surprised, but also like, yes, good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite the console, right? Very very delicate, very expensive. And um, I had Splatterhouse in that, so I'm like, all right, you know what? Let's give it a try. So I started practicing on that thing and um, kind of hurt because I was really bad about getting the emulation for that running with MAME because I usually never use that kind of stuff. So I was kind of mad that I couldn't... I was having frame rate issues and I just couldn't figure it out. So I said, all right, forget about it because I didn't want to destroy my Marty, constantly resetting it over and over and over. So I said, all right, let's drop Splatterhouse for now. Let's look for another another game i got into a game called skylar and plucks on the playstation 4 which is a 3d platformer i beat it casually and i just said to myself let's just look at the speedrun I'm, I'm curious to see how these people are beating this game in 30 you know ish minutes and i watched it and i was like oh my god you know and it was history from there because then i started glitch hunting and then i started running and i found out what was so addicting about speedrunning the the small little community built around the game the glitch hunting aspect and feeling that sense of pride when you find something that helps the game in a meaningful way. And then of course, bettering your times and it just snowballed from there after that game. Sure. No, I, I think you described all that's part of what makes speedrunning, I think so, so uh, fun and, and able to keep with it for a lot of time is because uh, there's, there's so many ways to change gears and still be involved, you know, whether that's or community organization, just grinding out runs, glitch hunting, switching games, switching genres, you know, doing all sorts of things. I was curious, a, a statement I like to ask runners is, uh, do you feel like you have a, a mission statement? I think you just said that you really do a wide variety of things, and it's something you value about speedrunning. But if I did ask you, do you have a mission statement in speedrunning? Do you feel like you have an idea of that? Yeah, so my... My idea behind speedrunning, and people always ask me, like, what's what's the appeal behind it? Um, I always like to prove that just because you you can buy a game and, and beat it in 30 minutes, an hour, like, you never have to be done with it, right? People are always like, oh, I can never speedrun. I would never have the patience. And I always tell those people, I'm like, listen, you don't have to commit, you know, all of your free time to speedrunning a game. Heck, what I love to do is pick up a game, play it casually, and then maybe for that night, that same night, or the next night, or just that weekend, or usually just like a day, just speed run it a few times. Go through it, 
try and beat it as fast as you can and you kind of just throw up a timer it doesn't need to be anything serious just throw up a timer and see how low you can get your time and suddenly you have this game that maybe you bought for 20 30 dollars and instead of getting an hour or two out of it you're now getting six to eight hours of enjoyment out of it and you don't have to stick with it Speedrunning doesn't have to be serious business it can just be something that you throw up a timer and and do and i know a lot of people kind of get intimidated when they come to a stream and they see a timer they're like oh here we go again with the speed running but um for me that's that's the most uh powerful part about speed running is just how much more longevity i'm able to get out of my games just because i decide well let's just see how optimal i can get this in a day or two and then you know maybe drop it return to it a year later yeah, I think that's a great point because I think speedrunning really can become a framework for you to ask questions about a game. And and through that, you know, you often discover so much about the structure of the game without even you know, ever having to talk to a developer or anything like that. Or, or about, you know, in some cases there are glitches and exploits, in which case you learn about the structure of programs, uh, you know, which is perhaps perhaps a different thing. But also, you know, an excellent lesson to learn. Um so I want to get a few takes before we start diving into some of the specific runs, because I think some of the specific runs, what's going to be nice about, I think, this interview in particular is because we're going to spend more time talking about different games, it's going to give us a bunch of uh, looks into sort of different ways you can approach a speed run and, and you know the impact of someone picking up a game and running it. But before we get into that, uh, I did want to get your your hottest takes for your uh, favorite and least favorite runs that you've done. When I say that, I just mean that like you enjoy or you really felt like, you know, I did this, but I don't enjoy it. I don't really want to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be your, your picks for that? Oh, boy. Well, my... Well, I know you've done a lot, so... <laughs> yeah, I, I actually counted my runs before this interview because I was like, man, actually, how many runs do I have on speedrun.com? And it's not actually all of them. So I'd say my favorite speedrun, and it's another one we're going to be talking about today, is um, Sonic R. That is by far probably the most fun and the most time I've ever invested into speedrunning a single game. Another one that I really enjoyed was Klonoa, Door to Phantom Isle, because that's another sort of childhood game of mine that I loved getting back into when the community had recently like broken it wide open with some glitches, so it was always kind of fun to see how that evolved. In terms of, le- oh, and also Dark Cloud, another one of my favorite runs that I wish I could do more speed runs of, but oh my goodness, it just, it takes too long. The thing I Yeah, love, that's a long run. It's a long run, but the thing, I just want to say this, I love RNG in speed runs, especially RPG speed runs. I just, it feels like gambling in a way. And not that I'm like addicted to gambling or anything like, but it kind of scratches that sort of dopamine itch right where you get that split and it's like oh my goodness i just saved two minutes because of rng luck you know it can be really exciting and dark cloud is a speed run that goes for like eight plus hours where it's nothing but rng and it's end skill so it's kind of addicting in terms of least favorite speed run I, i've done there's been some that i haven't been a big fan of but one of which that um is certainly probably the hardest for my viewers to watch is a game called space giraffe from Jeff Minter, the creator of Tempest, the Tempest games, or at least Tempest 2000, which he's most well-known for with the visualizer. Uh, That is a really, really nauseating 
trippy psychedelic arcade game that most people when i play that they just they're like all right i'm out i'll see you next stream <laughs> so yeah that's probably like one of the oh, weirdest man. and worst i've ever ran i feel like i need to look at look that up now that, that, the way you're describing it reminds me of um of that super nintendo game that pj ran one year it was like mohawk jack or <laughs> what was that called but it's a similar idea where it's just sort of visually difficult to to comprehend yeah it's I mean, to be honest, though, with my runs, like, I always run a game for a reason. It's very rare that I'll run a game if I dislike it. Well, there's only one case of that where I speed ran um, Nickelodeon Kart Racers last year because I bought that game digitally for full price and I just kind of wanted to get my money's worth. So I'm like, well, let's speed run it and just get a few more hours of time out of this game. And that was about that was about it with that game. Yeah, I mean, I I think you've said it several times now. Sometimes, you know, you you spend time completing a game and you almost feel like you need to do something with that skill set that you've acquired uh, that, you know, you're able to go back and record a few speedruns or or ask those questions or, or take it a little further. And, you know, sometimes... Sometimes it's almost out of spite, but sometimes it's because you know you want to take the lessons that you've learned and really, really apply that. Uh, but let's start. Let's start digging into some runs here. We, as I say, we got we got six runs that we're going to get through. Um, I'm just sort of going to pick them and go through. I think uh, the first one that I wanted to discuss with you is Bubsy 3D, uh, which is a game that I know has a reputation for for being a a bad 3d platformer having now watched a, a few other people do uh, casual plays of i feel like its reputation is not quite fully deserved but i'd be curious to hear uh what your relationship is with the game uh before you came to the point where you decided to speed run it yeah it's my history of bubsy 3d is pretty um kind of like a roller coaster because i had never played it before and it was probably about Three and a half, four years ago on Twitch, I finally did my first casual playthrough of it. And it was pretty miserable, not going to lie. I mean, playing that game blind without any kind of semblance of an idea of where to go in some of those levels can be really brutal, because that game does not have a good sense of direction in certain stages. However, as much as I was hating that game, I was also finding that I was appreciating certain aspects about it because of the time that it was released was one of the earliest 3D platformers that was still trying to figure out how to handle camera controls in a 3D space. You know, yes, there was Jumping Flash, but the game handles platforming completely different because it's in first person. So there's certain luxuries that that game has that Bubsy 3D didn't have. And of course, people probably know the story about how Mario 64 was coming out around the same time. Obviously, Slade Bubsy's approach to how it was handling camera work and movement. But I never hate a game simply because, well, it didn't do something quite as much, uh, didn't do something quite as well as another game did. So I tried to approach it very objectively, and I I usually get a lot of flack for this, but I actually think that Bubsy 3D has some of the most accurate jumping mechanics in a platformer, and I know that probably just made a whole bunch of your viewers just click out of this audio because <laughs> they think I'm just straight up lying, but the way that it handles jumping, it sort of tilts the camera in an upward position and looks down, and you can see your shadow very visibly to see where you're going to land. And I thought that was actually handled uh, with a lot of finesse in terms of an early 3D platformer. It certainly is a little unforgiving with judging distance on jumps, and of course enemies can be really brutal. But I think my first casual playthrough of that was mostly anger, frustration, joy, elation, because the later levels, I think I got stuck on the final boss for like at least two hours. It was really aggravating. But then after I finished it, I had the same experience. 
with uh, that I had with that Skylar and Plux game. I'm like, let's just, you know, I just endured playing this game for, I don't know what it was, 8 to 10 hours or something over the course of two streams, 8 to 12 hours. I'm like, let's just check out the speedrun. I want to see how they're beating this game in a half an hour. So I watched Alter Blues' run, and I was like, wow, this is this is really impressive. Suddenly, Bubsy 3D actually looks like a competent game. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make this my first real speedrun. And by real speedrun, I mean, you know, let's actually stream all of my practice. Let's stream all of my attempts. Let's get splits going. Let's get all that stuff going. Because the previous Skylar and Plux game, I kind of just locally recorded on my PS4 and uploaded the time. Didn't really... I was I was almost scared to stream it because I wasn't sure how my viewers would be receptive to speedrunning content. But yeah, Bubsy you 3, sure how it's yeah. going to fit in. Right. So Bubsy 3D, I just went all the way. And I learned that that game as a speedrun makes it infinitely better than a casual playthrough. Um, just trying to do everything as accurate as you can and, and moving without, you know, wondering where to go. It actually made it an amazing speedrun for me. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point is that with I think this is true especially of games that have uh you know some ambition and the ambition doesn't always match up with execution is that when you're able to sort of uh, see past some of the maybe the gaps in execution of design uh, it really it really can patch things up for you and I think that's uh, very true here now this was so you said this is the first you know that you considered sort of your real attempt to dive into streaming speed running. Uh, did you feel like right away that you were going to try and challenge uh, Author Blue's time and, and get the record? Because I think that you you eventually did have the record for a period of time, but I wasn't sure if that was the goal from the uh, from the, the get go. Right. Yeah. So I don't think I was thinking of world record right off the bat. I was just kind of like, well, let's see how close I can get. Let's just see what kind of best time I can get. But the more and more I was playing it, and the more I was practicing it, I was actually starting to find little tiny time saves here and there that were a little bit better than what the record was doing and it felt really good right the sense of this small community which was pretty much me author blues and nick's report nick's report was the original router and glitch hunter for the game who found who is largely responsible for bubsy 3d being the speedrun that it is today so i sort of went into their little bubble and little circle and i started contributing um more safe or more optimal ways to go about some of the skips in that game and i'm like wow this feels good i'm actually contributing something here and the more and more i started improving the closer and closer i was getting to the record i started pushing for it and i think that was the the final nail in the coffin that really cemented my just total addiction to speedrunning because you don't really know how good it feels to speedrun until you take down a semi long-standing world record right you take it down and you're like oh my goodness like this this is an amazing feeling right it's it's such a small accomplishment for or i should say like a a lot of people would say, oh, but what's what's the big deal? But when you put in so much time and work and something finally pays off where you can say, I am currently the best person at this game right now, of course, it'll eventually get overtaken. Um, but it's just such a such an amazing feeling to get your first world record in speedrunning. Yeah, I, I I think it's really good, too, because it also, you know, it, it's paying off for hard work. And also, it's the sense of just, I think, improving the game because, one, I really always just love to emphasize the collaborative nature, you know, in addition to the competitive nature, because now what what I've done or, or you know, what you've done in pushing down the time for Bubsy is show that road for other people who can come along and, and discover the run and, and further improve upon it. As a historical detail, I wanted to mention, so, you know, I usually will, will watch PB videos and other videos when preparing for these interviews. And in the middle of your uh, PB video, 
uh, which you know was was record at the time. Author Blues does radio, which was very very fun. I'm I'm very glad now that that uh, Twitch vods have. Uh, the chat saved because I, I get to see author blues coming in in the middle of the run and be like, Oh, you're doing really well. And you know, it's just, it's, it's a, not only is it preserving the run, which is cool, but also it's preserving that community, which is really good too. Uh, I wanted to ask if you had a favorite, uh, bit of tech in the game. And it also, if you want to highlight uh, a favorite optimization that you discovered, I'd love to hear about that as well. So the, the thing that I'm, probably most proud of in that game is there is a very infamous skip I, it's granted it's been three years since i've speed ran bubsy 3d so forgive me if my memory here is a little off but there's a there's an infamous skip in one of the later levels where you have to get lined up in a very specific way and you jump into a propeller that shoots you up and you get stuck underneath a platform and then the momentum that is building up underneath that platform between you know bubsy being stuck under it and the propeller kind of pushing bubsy further into that platform um sort of builds up over time and then when you eventually move out from under it it'll shoot you up in the air um i'm trying to remember the exact thing that i did to, to change that to make it more consistent but it was one of the scariest tricks in the game where normally they would fall on top of uh like an obstacle in the in the middle of it was supposed to be like background art in the game but they would they would fall on top of that to kind of like stabilize and and jump to the next platform it's really hard to describe but i found a way to uh manipulate the movement so that i would shoot up and essentially i'd be flying blind in the sky without being able to really see where i'm going and just kind of trusting my inputs so that i would be able to fall much more optimally and much more quickly without that extra step of landing on this piece of geometry floating in the sky, which can save anywhere from like 30 to 60 seconds, depending on how quickly you get it. So saving that much time in a run that's, you know, under half an hour is a pretty big deal. And that was um, one of my more bigger finds. Other than that, I just found little shortcuts like, okay, it's faster to jump over this corner and that'll save you like a few seconds here and there. Um, oh, and also, what? oh, mm, go ahead. I, I just remembered another one. Sorry, like I said, it's been three years. No, no, please, please. Yeah, no, I, I realize this is this is dusting off some stuff. I, yeah, okay. So the pro- actually something that's probably even bigger is the first boss fight in that game is a giant elephant. Uh, if you've watched the run before, I'm sure you re- you recall this this fight where you you guide this elephant into banana peels and then he like crashes into gates. So before I started running it, what they used to do was just like walk forwards, backwards, whatnot. And it was a really aggravating fight. But I found that if you just started jumping for movement the entire fight, the uh, the view, the camera angle that you would have would just be top down the entire time. And it let you get the setup much easier, much quicker. So it took that fight from being like RNG hell and just kind of praying that it would work out to making it super consistent and no longer a scary fight. So that's probably my, my biggest contribution. And that's an excellent example too, right? Because that's not even a glitch, right? It, that's really just you're you're figuring out how to play the game in a way to make it more consistent and sort of work through some of the the previous uh, difficulties. I did want before we move on to the next game, I did want to ask about one particular tech because watching the run, knowing very little about the game, it seemed like one of the bread and butter things to do was to jump sideways up steep slopes. Do you remember how that works? I'm just curious about the mechanics of that. Oh, I remember fondly because. I- <laughs> I sort of play with a handicap. Um, unfortunately for me, I just simply do not have the space to have a CRT TV set up alongside like 
my HDTV for streaming, so I choose to just stream strictly off of an HDTV, which means when I play games like this, because I don't have a FrameMeister, I don't have an OSSC, I play with input delay, which makes speedrunning certain games <laughs> really interesting. So when I first started learning how to speedrun Bubsy 3D, yes, one of the main techs and one of the main things that you do to skip in that game is jump up walls sideways. And that's the first thing that you do when you start the run within the first few seconds, you are jumping up a wall to go out of bounds. So I quickly found out how difficult that was becoming for me because it's not quite like, it's not a frame perfect trick, but the idea is that you turn your camera sideways, you jump to the side because Bubsy kind of controls like, like a tank. So you can kind of just hold right and keep mashing jump and hill. As long as you have the camera right, you'll just keep jumping to the right up a wall. But what you need to do is you jump. When you land on the wall, you hit the jump button again immediately as soon as you land. And you got to keep repeating that. If you miss an input as you're climbing a wall, you slide back down. So I, I right away realized, I, I wrote to Author Blues, I'm like, is this supposed to be this hard? And he's like, no, it's pretty uh, pretty easy and consistent for me. And I, I eventually found out it's because playing with input delay makes that wall climb really tricky. So in runs where I never mess that up and slide down, uh, it's pretty lucky, you know, having to compensate for the input delay. Yeah, I mean, this is a lot about sometimes the the issues that you you run into with uh, with some older games, and you know, sometimes I, I'm always glad to see new versions of games just to sort of maybe maybe paper over that stuff, but maybe make things worse. We'll we'll get into the version things uh, with some of the other games that we're going to discuss. Uh, do you have any plans to to return to Bubsy 3D ever? I'm just curious. People always ask me, they're like, "Oh, do you ever want to go back to Bubsy 3D?" And I tell them. I do, but the thing with me and returning to old speedruns like that, especially a game like Bubsy 3D, which is a it's a no-joke speedrun. That is a very technical, pretty hardcore speedrun to the point where like one mistake pretty much costs you the run because deaths can be pretty punishing. Uh, usually when I return to older speedruns like that, I tell people I'm going to dedicate at least a week straight to it. Right? I don't want to just go back and play it for a few days and call it quits again. So when I decide to go back to Bubsy 3D, it's going to be at least for five to seven days straight because that's the only way i'm ever going to get back to the point where i was and considering there are a couple of new discoveries that would save me quite a bit of time on my old run i think i would be in contention for world record again which in turn would make author blues return to speedrunning bubsy 3d because um he uh he he, he will never let me have that record for long which is great because i love friendly rivalries in speed oh absolutely yeah. No, it's that's some of the best stuff. That when you have a rivalry where you and another runner are, are pushing down the time, that is always just some of the best moments in speedrunning for sure. All right, let's move on to uh, let's move on to Sonic R. Now, Sonic series is something I I, I know more about Sonic music than I do anything else about Sonic because I had I had a cover band in college and we played a lot of Sonic music, but I really haven't played a lot of Sonic games. And I feel like Sonic is something that is big for you. Um, can you tell me about your history with Sonic R? So Sonic R, um, I've always had a sort of soft spot for it. It's one of the reasons that I bought my Sega Saturn originally. I bought it for three games, Panzer Dragoon, Nights into Dreams, and Sonic R. That's sort of like my holy trinity of games that made me pick up a Saturn. And I always had a fondness and appreciation for Sonic R. You know, I did a review for that game on YouTube, and today it's one of my most viewed videos across my entire channel. It's uh, it's kind of funny how that works. People People actually just love hearing people's opinions and the history behind that game. So I've always had this sort of soft spot for it. And when I was getting more and more into speedrunning, I started thinking to myself, all right, I love Sonic. I want to speedrun more Sonic games because previously to that, the only 
Here, well, let me just let me just bullet point it like this. This should actually tell people a lot about the kind of games that I like to run. <laughs> I've speed ran, I think it's three Sonic games. So I, the first Sonic game I've ever speed ran is Sonic 06 on the Xbox 360. Good, and good. Then, then I did Sonic R, and then my most recent Sonic speed run is. Uh, oh, I, I also did Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing, like the probably the best one that people would consider out of the bunch. And then I also did Sonic's Game World on the Sega Pico. So that should kind of give you an idea of the kind of Sonic games that I run. But not to get too far off track here, um, I was starting to think after Sonic 06, I'm like, all right, I want to speedrun more Sonic because I am a big fan of the character of Sonic and a lot of the games. So I started looking into the runs and I didn't want to delve into anything that was like super optimized and intimidating. Like I wasn't going to run Sonic one or two or, you know, Sonic generations or anything like that. A lot of those games are very intimidating to get into running. So I checked out Sonic R and I looked at the Saturn leaderboard and there was like only one other run up there. So I'm like, all right, let's, let's try it. Let's try this. Let's do this. Anybody that's played Sonic R, you know that that game has really slippery and horrendous controls for when you're new to that game. But by brute forcing it and eventually getting more and more used to how that game plays, and I started getting better and better and closer and closer to the record, which unfortunately I never claimed, because that game is so input-heavy, it was actually causing me hand pain, which was kind of worrying because I was using a standard Saturn controller. I was also using the, the 3D gamepad. And because the button inputs are so intensive in that run, my hands were getting to the point where I would be feeling hand pain for like three days after I had stopped running it. So I'm like, all right, I got to throw in the Talon Sonic R, at least the Saturn version. And uh, that's when I moved to the GameCube version. I don't remember what your original question was, so I'll, I'll stop right there. No, I was just I, I was just letting you go sort of history of how you you got into Sonic R, and then you certainly you, you covered that and moved into some of the the you know the the parts of you running the game. Um, you know, I, I one thing I want to impress the folks uh, if the if you're not familiar with Sonic R, I you know I was like oh so it's just like a Sonic racing game where you're on foot and you race around a track, right? And the thing that struck me. Uh, and maybe you can speak to this in terms of the routing, is that uh, there's really... Uh, I, I never thought I would see so much exploration in a racing game because uh, that's what it felt like. It felt like there were lots of different paths that you could choose and a lot of the you know the kind of jumping around movement that you might associate with a classic Sonic game. Um, is it... I mean, so when it, when it comes to the, the route, it seems like you're just trying to cut as tight a loop as possible. Like the AI racers are almost sort of immaterial to what you're doing in the speedrun. Right. So yeah, it's it's more of an open exploration racing game that um, allows, because the game when you want to 100% complete it, you have to collect coins, you have to collect the Chaos Emeralds, and they're all kind of scattered around the level. So in a way, the level layouts are, they're almost laid out in the way that a, if you would imagine the way a classic 3D Sonic game would have been laid out in the era of the Sega Saturn um, where it's not just a strictly like looping track, there's a lot of nooks and crannies and things to explore, which makes it quite unique. And the more and more you play it, the more and more you find, I find that the controls in Sonic R are the most satisfying I've ever played in a racing game once you get used to them. Because the way that that game handles drifting, um, you have to drift. You have to use the shoulder buttons to turn sharply. Most people that play it casually, they just use the D-pad or the joystick and they move around. And yeah, they're going to have a horrible time. They're going to laugh about it. They're going to curse at the game. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be really hard for them to play. You have to get used to cornering with the shoulder buttons because that gives you more control. And uh, a lot of the tech in that game actually involves drifting into walls and off of walls. And more recently in the past year, it was actually discovered that if you say, for example, drift 
right into a wall. So you're holding the right shoulder button and that's drifting you into the wall, but you're actually holding the opposite direction. So you're holding left on the joystick and you're holding the right shoulder pad. So you're sort of like having this clashing, um, drifting to the right, but moving in the left direction that actually gives you a slight increase in speed. And that was something new that was found out for the run. So it sort of rejuvenated Sonic R speed running um, to the point where we were finding all new ways to, to run the game. And now, I, from look, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I eventually switched over to the GameCube version, which made running the game a heck of a lot more convenient because it is a little bit easier to control than the Saturn version. Yeah, from looking at the leaderboard, I noticed that it seems like the, the GameCube version is the, the most popular for running. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask about, I didn't watch any regular any percent. I noticed that it seemed like your runs were focused on uh, Saturn and GameCube any percent, no out of bounds. Uh, is there just a, is there a re- particular reason for that preference? Is the any percent stuff not worth it? Any percent is kind of a meme uh, because what you do in any percent is you immediately just try and clip out of bounds as fast as you can and then you just run around in circles a couple times and finish the lap you finish the race so yeah it's kind of a joke it's mostly luck there's not too much skill involved once you know the setup for clipping out of bounds it's just praying that you clip out of bounds as fast as possible and you just finish the game that way so there's really no running around the tracks skill intensive turns you know oh you missed that ring your run is dead you know there's none of that it's just Run into this corner, wiggle your stick back and forth, hope you clip out, run in a circle three times, and move on to the next track. So yeah, any percent, kind of a joke. I'm not sure if I'll ever pick it up personally, because it's just a completely different kind of run. Right, yeah. And I, I, sometimes sometimes games have mechanics that make the, the base any percent category sort of ridiculous to do. Now, I noticed your your PB for the GameCube any percent no out of bounds is from uh, from January of this year. So it's something that you have revisited more recently than, than Bubsy. Uh, do you have uh, plans to try and get the time down further again? Because I noticed, I know you said this causes you some some hand issues. So obviously you want to be careful about how you approach it. But I imagine if it's your favorite speed run. Yeah, so usually how I approach Sonic R is I tend to take long breaks from it because, yes, playing that game for extended periods of time does cause me... I preemptively, like, wrap my fingers with Band-Aids so that I don't get blisters. And then, of course, I start, like... This is the only run that really does this to me because of how just how much it hurts my hands to keep mashing on the shoulder buttons and the joystick. Um, I will go back to it. I usually take extended breaks from it. And when I do come back... Like I mentioned earlier, I, I don't just come back for a few days. I come back for like a week straight at least. That way I can de-rust and then just start hammering out and start grinding the runs. I mean, I have a lot of time left to save. Um, this is the highest I've been on the leaderboard in terms of having world record within grasp. But I will say the the record holder, who is a very young speedrunner, uh, he, he is really good at the game and has continued to push it as pretty much as low as it can go. So world record to me, I feel, is sort of out of grasp now because i just i can't grind the game quite as much as he does um like it's to the point where if somebody submits a run to that leaderboard in a like a individual level time attack stage i noticed this because i follow the game whenever somebody submits a run that beats the current record he will spend the time to beat their time so that way when he accepts their would have been world record run 
it's actually second place because he beat it already by the time he accepts your run. So it's like he's very competitive in that way. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And when he put the game down for several months and he saw that I started running again and I was getting pretty close to his time, he picked it right back up and lowered the time. So it's one of those it's one of those competitive kind of leaderboards where, uh, yeah, world record is definitely going to be um, really hard to get. <laughs> but it's fun, right? Like competition's fun. And if it Oh, yeah, absolutely. If it wasn't for him, uh, the run would not be where it is now in terms of continuing to push it lower. All right, let's move from from your favorite speedrun to what I believe is your favorite game of all time, Eco. Is that right? Yes. So how did how did it come to be that that Eco is is your favorite game? What is that What is that experience? Well, pretty much stems back to when Eco. So for those that don't know Eco, it's part of the team eco series from fumito ueda so if you know the last guardian shadow of the colossus eco is the first game developed by that team and i played it in a demo disc in a playstation magazine and i instantly fell in love with it before the game came out i beat that demo like a dozen times before the game even released because eco for 2001 was super ahead of its time in terms of atmosphere and immersion the sense of scale in that game was unparalleled at the time um, there was no hud it was just the game no life bars no indicators no menus the camera was a sort of cinematic experience where you pan the camera around the environment rather than pan the camera around your character um, everything in that game in terms of the layout and the design of trying to escape the castle was to scale so it sort of had this epic feeling where everything was interconnected in the beginning of the game you'd be able to look out into the distance and you would see areas that you'd be visiting hours from now often you know hidden behind the mist and the clouds and eventually you'd come there and then you'd look back over the hills and you'd see like oh wow i remember being there hours ago right stuff like this never existed in playstation 2 games back in 2001 so it was sort of this very magical um experience of feeling super immersed in a simple game of just trying to escape a castle with a girl that you find locked away in a cage and it just always stuck with me i mean that's just me trying to encapsulate my favorite game ever in a nutshell yeah, no right i'm sure you could go on for for much more um so at what point now this is a, i think a common refrain for for some people i don't agree with this but some people feel like if you if you pick up a game as a speedrun, you can you can never go back to playing the game casually, or that it will somehow uh, degrade or or negatively affect the experience of of it being your favorite game and playing it. Uh, what made you uh, pick it up as a speed game, and do you feel like it is? I I mean, from what from you gushing about it now, my guess is the answer is no. It's still your favorite game. But how, how when did you pick it up as a speedrun, and how did that decision process go? picked it up as a run about last year um, because one of the versions of the game when it runs in 50 hertz as opposed to 60 hertz with the PAL version allows you to use a glitch that lets you leap further than you should be able to so you can use that to exploit and skip through very large portions of the game by utilizing certain jumps that shoot you up into the, the stratosphere in that game to get places you're not supposed to so I thought to myself well you know, I, I don't really quite want to give up my experience of playing this game casually yet. So if this version of the game is allowing me to break it in ways that I cannot in the PlayStation 3 North American version, you know, it's it's a different experience. You know, it's if I can play this speed run and just sketch and glip and uh, sketch. Boy, that's skip. And no, glitch. I like it. I like it. <laughs> skip, <laughs> skip and glitch my way through half of the game and beat it. 
um, that won't ruin my experience that I can have with the the normal non glitched version. So I was I was kind of satisfied with that. But what I was also finding was some of the tricks were so difficult that I was starting to get aggravated with it. Right. Like that's that's a fine line that I try not to cross where I never want to take a game that I love and get aggravated with it because the speed run makes it more frustrating to play. So I started taking a step back from that version of the game because it was starting to make me not enjoy playing it because it was it was a run killer like your run can die at any moment and it's not it's not always the most fun uh, having to reset that over and over. So I put it down for a while, and then most recently, actually just a few days ago, I said to myself, yes, Eco is my favorite game of all time, and this is a dilemma I've always had with myself. I'm like, once I start speedrunning the non-glitched version of this game, where I'm playing through it as intended, but as fast as I can, I will probably never be able to go back to it and have... Well, here, let me preface this by saying what I do with Eco. Just because it's my favorite game of all time doesn't mean that I play this thing like every year. What I usually do is I take years off between playthroughs. That way, every time I play it, I forget certain puzzles. I forget what to do. I get that sensation of feeling lost and kind of exploring and looking at the environments. By speedrunning it, I'm no longer going to have that experience where I can get lost because I'm going to remember everything and where to go because it's going to be ingrained into my brain having you know done it so many times. But I said, well, is it really worth doing a casual playthrough of the game once every several years when I can just still potentially enjoy it and play it way more frequently so i took a gamble and i decided i'm going to learn the playstation 3 version of the speedrun which is the way the game is intended to be played there's no big glitches there's nothing you just go through the game as intended and i'm finding that it was worth the risk because i am enjoying it more than i ever have in the past and it was definitely worth it because now i get to play my favorite game ever even more than i normally would have in the past yeah, I think it's it's interesting too. You know, the, the experience you're describing in terms of how it's how it's affecting your relationship to the game. And the other thing I would say too that I've noticed when I when I've had that experience of taking a game I really like and speedrunning it, and then coming back to it in the context of a casual play, I notice I become uh, super fixated with everything that's not in the speedrun, right? Because the speedrun's going to strip and, and remove everything that isn't isn't a part of getting to the end as quickly as possible. And I've always found, I, I'm sort of curious now, I feel like I'm going to be looking for whenever you play Eco to see if this happens to you, where I become uh, super fixated on just saying like, oh, well, we don't use this thing in the speedrun. Like, let me really like poke and prod it and understand it now that I have that, that speedrun skill set. Um, I hope you know. I hope that works out for you. I know. I think you said just just recently you're working on on the PS3 version, uh, and I'm certainly curious to to learn more about that. Uh, for anyone listening, I just want a, a plug. I recently was reading the Boss Fight series book on Shadow of the Colossus, which covers some of the history of Team Eco, uh, and it's really you know any of those. I don't know. Are you familiar with the Boss Fight books? I haven't read them though. Okay, it's just a series of books where where every book is a different author, and they just write about uh, usually a, a game's history and their own personal history with the game. Uh, and there's one of them on Shadow of the Colossus, which gets into some of this. And so I feel like some of the some of the Team Eco knowledge, you know, I, having not played any of their games yet, uh, it's you know useful in sort of putting it in that context of that you know that level of atmosphere that you were describing before. So do you feel like you have a gold time right now for, for PS3 Eco, or are you just going to let it you know, sort of take you wherever? See, this is the thing that, that worries me, right? Because people, a lot of people in my community, they know that Eco is my favorite game of all times. So they, they know me as like the Eco guy, because I've always, 
I've always talked about this game over the years on my YouTube and on my Twitch and whatnot. So I don't want people having this false expectation that just because it's my favorite game ever that I should be the best at the game, right? Like that's kind of a a scary thought that a lot of people are probably going to be thinking when they see, oh, his time is 10 minutes slower than world record. You know, I thought, I thought he was a big fan of this game. I thought he was really good at it. And that's not something that I want to kind of cloud um, the way I approach it. I just want to run it to the point where I feel like I have a run where it has no major mistakes. So I think the way I'm going to approach it is once I get a little bit more practice out of the way, I'm going to start just doing no safety saving um, just going in really hard and, and going for all the risky tricks. And if a run fails, uh, you know, maybe switch to something else for that night because that's a that's a kind of brutal game to reset, not going to lie. The beginning is quite slow, and um, it can be a little bit of a drag because it's a longer run that goes for at least an hour and a half. Uh, and it's the kind of game where you miss a simple jump and you fall to your death, and that, that's pretty much it. It's over. So it's a very risky run. Um, I'm, I'm aiming for a sub one hour, 40 minute time RTA, which would place me higher up on the leaderboard. And it's certainly a, definitely a good time to, to shoot for, but I, I should actually also mention that the reason why I'm so suddenly into speedrunning eco is because when I was originally considering it and I was doing the PAL version, there were barely any runners. There was, there were really no active runners for the PlayStation three version. But recently, thanks to the community, mostly due to Sable Dragonrook, who is the most active runner for The Last Guardian, she's had a couple of marathon appearances lately with that game, and it brought in a bunch of new people with interest into speedrunning Last Guardian. And then those people were like, oh, okay, I'm going to check out Eco 2 and start speedrunning that. So then they made a Discord that's a group of Shadow of the Colossus, Eco, and Last Guardian speedrunners, and I just thought that was so awesome because last year this community of runners for some of my favorite games ever didn't exist so it kind of rejuvenated my desire to run it because there's other people running it right now too which was never a thing last year there's like there's three or four other active runners for eco right now and there's there's definitely a difference between running a game by yourself and feeling kind of all alone and then also having other people that are running it around the same time as you it's just a lot more fun that way yeah, no, I, I think it's it's irreplaceable to have that that resource. But at the same time, I do also think what you said before in regards to your goal setting is also spot on, which is that because of your personal relationship with the game, you know, keeping it keep, making the goal a personal goal in that it's a run you're happy with is absolutely the best approach. You know, you never want to become fixated on having to get feeling like you have to get a record time and having that be a barrier uh to you you know enjoying running the game um but let's let's keep moving here i want to get over to i I mentioned at the very beginning of the interview that you know you you've had a few gdq appearances and so i want to discuss at least one of those games and also a game that uh captures some of what you do in terms of representing more obscure consoles and that's club drive uh for the atari jaguar which is uh, you had done i think at sgdq 2018 uh i know from watching your how did i now how did i become a retro game collector video that the jaguar was something you did have uh back in the 90s uh was club drive one of those games that you played that back then or is that a more recent acquisition I had that one from when I was younger, but I never really delved into it too deeply. Like, I remember playing it. It's Well, first of all, this is a very early, almost open-world driving game, if you're not familiar with it. It's a very primitive-looking, sort of like that race driving series, if anybody is familiar with that. It's just a very primitive, boxy, no textures, 
racing game with really janky controls, but the thing that really sets it apart is this quirky sense of humor and the open world aspect where instead of just racing on tracks that are like looping or point A to point B, it gives you open environments to explore. So like the first level in the game is you're actually in somebody's home. It's called Jared's Pad, I believe was the name of the, the level. And you're just driving around somebody's house in a scaled down sort of like micro machines uh, sense of scale. And you can go into the kitchen, you can go into the bathroom, you can go into the TV room. And there's a cat, the infamous club drive cat, which is just this orange box that looks like a loaf of bread with a elongated tail just sticking out the back of it and a box for a head and two little boxes for ears. And when you ram into it, it makes a meow sound. Just this mo it, it honestly looks like somebody sat down to create a game for the first time and just whipped out a couple of rectangles and called it a day on making a cat. But that's kind of what makes Club Drive so special for me. Now, I, I had played it back then, but when I was thinking to myself, when I was really getting into speedrunning, I'm like, I want to give more representation to consoles that are not really prominent in the speedrunning scene because when i first started running i mean it was just all the same stuff right like genesis super nintendo n64 you know just the the really popular consoles and i was looking through the leaderboards and i'm like what is this there's there's no speed runs for the jaguar i'm like this th that was one of my other goals with speedrunning is i want to try and bring more attention to not just obscure games but also obscure consoles that normally nobody would ever think to speedrun so the Jaguar was my first focus, and I, I picked up Club Drive, and I was like, oh my goodness, this would actually make an amazing run, because there's a lot of things that could go wrong, there's a lot of clench moments, and I think having clench moments, meaning like, you know, viewers are on the edge of their seats, because if you miss this one trick, the run is over, I think that's really important for a run, and it's kind of hard to find those moments sometimes in, in racing games. So I just ran with it, and I started getting my time down and down and routing it, because obviously I was the only runner. And um, that was my first time ever submitting to GDQ. I submitted that along with Spider-Man Web of Fire on the 32X. And uh, both got in, which was... Because I had always heard, right, like before I started submitting runs to GDQ, people were saying, man, I've been submitting for five, six, seven years. I've, I've never got a run in. And I'm thinking to myself, I was telling my viewers, my like, guys, uh, I'm probably not going to get a run in. Don't get your hopes up. So when I saw the list and I saw I got two games and I was like, oh, my oh my goodness, they actually want to represent consoles that are a little bit more on the obscure side. And ever since then, I've been uh, making it sort of a mission of mine to keep pushing the boundaries of how weird can I get with my consoles that I speedrun on. No, that's really cool. And I think I mentioned too that you know, not only have you done 32X and Jaguar, but you, you have since involved the 3DO, which was uh, really cool. I, I totally advise people to... Uh, there's a, our website called gdqvods.com. Uh, and if you search, you know, Pete Dorr, you can see all the stuff that, that he's done over the years. Uh, there's some other great runs in there, too, that are definitely uh, worth worth a watch, worth looking up. Uh, and, yeah, one thing I, I wanted to ask about, you know, so it seems like, if I'm right, you're the only runner for this game, right? No one's done. No one else has done a run? Nobody has done a run, but that's mostly just due to the barrier of Jaguar emulation is a little finicky. So, you know, people can't really accurately run the game on emulator to our knowledge and jaguars are getting a little expensive mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and most people just straight up don't want a jaguar so it's you know the the pool of people that want to run it people have expressed interest they're like oh i'm going to pick up this game i want to start running it but then 
you know, I never, I never see a run get submitted to the leaderboard. So I guess they kind of dropped it because it's one of those things, right? After you play it for so long, uh, you as the runner make it look easy to other people, and they look at the run and they're like, "I can do this." But then when they pick it up themselves and they realize that, oh man, that turn that he does here is not quite as easy as he makes it look. Um, and another thing too is, right? Like, I think a lot of it has to do with the passion of of running weird or bad games, right? Like a lot of people can't really stomach playing a kind of not so great game for long periods of time whereas i just i can't get enough of it you know so people might start running it and they're like uh this is this is not as fun as i thought it would be and they just drop it right i'm sure that's the case a lot of times too now when when you were doing routing for this was it sort of based entirely on just your experience of playing the game or were you able to because i mean you know sometimes when you're picking up a speed run you know you have a community to work with or you have uh runs by previous runners to to work off uh but for something when you when you run a game that no one else has run you know your resources get a little more creative you might be going to game facts you might be you know trawling youtube for videos if there are videos out there i mean i don't know if there are for jaguar uh what kind of resources did you work with or was it just your experience it was all my experience because this game is the type of game where even if people were playing it casually, it's not the kind of game you'd really try and push the boundaries on because it encourages exploration and a lot of people really struggle with the controls. So, you know, watching somebody else play was never really too helpful. And I did find a list of times here and there from people that they had posted like, oh, I beat this level in this time. But already after just spending a little bit of time with the game, my times are already well below that. So there really were no helpful resources for this game. But this also helped me find out that I really enjoyed, and let me look at my history here to make sure that this is correct. Um, I really enjoyed running games that previously had no work done to it whatsoever. So looking through the history here, uh, the only thing that would come close would maybe be Spawn on the Game Boy Color. Yeah, so Club Drive was really the first game that I had ever done a speedrun for where there was no resources. So I had to do everything from the ground up, and for me, that's one of the most rewarding experiences in speedrunning because I love routing and glitch hunting, depending on the genre. I love that aspect of kind of piecing it together because it's that way it feels like I built it from the ground up and it's it's a lot more rewarding to get PBs when I know that, you know, everything that I've put into it is coming to fruition. Yeah, and it's I should say too, much like Sonic R and you already said that there is exploration to this. There, there is warp pads, which I, 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 I was, I turned this on. I was like, okay, it's like a janky looking three D racing game. Uh, but then suddenly the Wild West map, you know, you're jumping to secret areas. You're at the Atari headquarters. You're really going places, and and it, it really has that sense of humor, which I think is is really great. I did want to ask, um, the game. So there's two things I think that are interesting to, to highlight as well. And one is the rewind feature, which kind of seems to make uh, the, the speed run at least a little safer and also kind of fun to watch. And then the other thing too, is that if uh, someone listening isn't familiar with the Atari Jaguar controller, I had the fortune at a, a good fortune at MAGFest this past year to go into the, the, the museum they have at MAGFest and actually play a little bit of Wolfenstein on the Jaguar. And I got to hold the Jaguar controller, which has a full keypad on it. When I say keypad, I mean like a, like a touchstone telephone keypad. And uh, I believe you explained during the GDQ run that in order to access the final level of the game, which is like a hidden level, you have to input a code on that keypad. Is that right? Yeah. So it's uh, it's a, it's a little bit you know cumbersome, but at the same time, this is why playing on real hardware is really important, right? Because if somebody did an emulator run, how do you 
how do you judge somebody using a different controller or keyboard or whatever they're going to be using to do inputs like that when uh, playing with the Jaguar controller is a that's a journey in and of itself because it's it's quite unlike any other controller out there which is why um you know even if i accepted emulator runs it would certainly have to be in a separate category but yeah a lot of jaguar games do make use of that keypad uh some games way more than others in terms of mapping functions to them but in, in some cases it can, it can be very useful right because a lot of older controllers it's just like all right a, B, a button b button start select maybe you got a shoulder button here and there whereas the jaguar is like oh you know what we can map that function to this keypad we can map that function to this button that button so it has a lot of shortcuts which can actually be kind of convenient for some games any any plans to uh, re- return to this or do you feel like you already fulfilled its destiny by taking it to gdq so my thoughts on that with games that i get into gdq um is usually once i get it to gdq i feel like i've kind of fulfilled what i set out to do is to get that game more recognition i know i can get my time down more in club drive i may return to it someday but especially if it's a game where i i felt like you know my gdq performance was sort of like the best performance that i can give that game i usually kind of just let it let it rest there uh there's so many other runs that i feel need recognition and once a game is in gdq i mean that's the best recognition you can get it really you know exposure yeah. so maybe Absolutely. maybe one day well speaking of games that maybe need more recognition uh the a game that i i've sort of been curious about and i'm really uh, you actually recently uh, in another youtube video that you did about about ps2 rpgs under 20 worth playing you brought up a uh, ephemeral fantasia which i think has the reputation of being like the worst rated uh RP- jrpg on on ps2 uh this is a game that you got into running i think with the help of a japanese runner and so these last two runs that we're going to discuss i think are be good opportunities to highlight uh some of the you know the cooperative uh nature of speed running can you talk about your your history of ephemeral fantasia before you got into speed running so i remember the, the most important thing to remember about ephemeral fantasia is that that was actually the very first turn-based like traditional jrpg turn-based rpg to ever be released on the playstation 2 so at the time when that game came out i was very as a playstation 2 owner you know there were rpgs like summoner um it was eternal ring evergrace stuff like that but there there were no an orphan but there were no like final fantasy style rpgs so i remember being really starved for that kind of game on the playstation 2 and then konami released ephemeral fantasia i remember renting it and um it was a it was a mixed experience because this is a game that gets a lot of hate over how little it holds your hand it's there's a time element in ephemeral fantasia where there's an internal clock always running and if you're just a split second too late you can miss adding a permanent character to your party or advancing the plot the game really doesn't tell you where to go and where uh where to go what time to be there uh you know a lot of specifics that make make it so that when most people play it casually uh, you, you really make almost no progress. You can play that game for 10 hours and, and make it about 5% into the speedrun. Uh, that's that's just how open-ended this game can be. So I remember enjoying the, the open-world nature of the game. It has a really big starting town. I remember liking the comedic nature of it, where you play as a uh, sort of like a traveling bard who is also a thief whose guitar talks to him and has a lot of remarks about the people that he meets on his journey and then you sort of get trapped on the island in a time loop and you have to try and break your way out of it is the main premise of the game but like most people 
I never made m- much progress on it back in the day. Um, which is why now when I recommend that game to people, I'm like, listen, you can try playing that game blind, but I highly recommend you use a guide. And most recently, just the other day, someone came into my chat. They're like, oh, I picked up that game and I tried playing it without a guide and I just couldn't make much progress. So I used a guide and I beat it. And, you know, thank you. It was a really fun experience. I'm like, oh, awesome. You know, because that's what I'm trying to do is spread awareness that Ephemeral Fantasia is actually quite enjoyable with a guide. But without getting too far off track, um, how did I decide to speedrun this game? I held sort of a competition on my stream where I had three different PlayStation 2 RPGs where people would sort of donate bits or whatever to a certain game they'd want to see me speedrun. So I had Dark Cloud, Ephemeral Fantasia, Digital Devil Saga, and Shadow Hearts. And I never expected Ephemeral Fantasia to even come close to winning. I just put it on there as a meme, right? Like if somebody just mm. felt like donating to the worst yeah. PlayStation 2 RPG Who would ever. donate to the worst PS2 JRPG? No one. No. Little did I know my community, uh, apparently a lot of people want to see me speedrun the worst, one of the considered worst PS2 RPGs. So in the end, it was pretty much a, I think it came down to a dollar difference between Dark Cloud and Ephemeral Fantasia. So the nice guy I was, I said, all right, I'll speedrun both games. So then I had this dilemma of, oh boy, the only resource for this game as a speedrun is a Japanese run of the game. Um, So I looked at the video, and I started taking notes. And one thing I've come to learn over the years is I love taking notes for RPG speedruns. It's just one of my favorite things to do. So I didn't mind that aspect. And I was starting to watch the video and play at the same time, and I got to a point in my run where I was practicing on stream and um, I couldn't advance. Something happened with the time of day and I was like, uh Oh, I don't, I don't know what happened here. I don't know what to do. So I said, all right, guys, I'm going to have to put this down. Um, so I came back to it another day and lo and behold, all of a sudden in chat is the Japanese world record holder in my Twitch stream. Uh, and I'm like, oh my goodness, because you know I hadn't really reached out to him prior. The only thing I had done was I went onto his PlayStation or his uh, world record run on his YouTube video, and I left a comment and I said, wow, very nice. I watched the whole video um, to kind of get a sense for the run. And I said, you know, how long have you been running this? Blah blah blah. And I kind of left it at that. He replied with a nice long reply, very obviously translated in Google Translate, and why that's important I'll get to in a second. And kind of left it at that. So I guess he took the time to click my channel he's like oh someone's interested in running ephemeral fantasia let me find their twitter so he must have followed my twitter and uh he saw that i posted one day that i went live for ephemeral fantasia and suddenly he's in my chat and i tried conversing with him and he's like i pretty much know no english so this person from japan who totally did not need to bother whatsoever with trying to help me out took so much time Uh, every day that I streamed this and made attempts and and practice, he was there for like five plus hours a day. And any question that I had, um, I would write it out to him in, in chat. So that way he can take it and he would translate it in Google. So read what I wrote. And then he would write back and translate it back into English and post it in my chat. Uh, and luckily I I also had a viewer too that can help me translate on the fly instead of having to use that method all the time. But it was this amazing across the world effort of you know google translating back and forth between the japanese runner and he's trying to teach me some of the hardest skips and tricks in this game and let me tell you without his help i would have never finished a speed run of this game because certain things i just didn't understand 
didn't know how he was doing it, didn't know how tight the uh, the route was, and this game has a extremely tight route uh, because of the time of day. You're running around, and if you're one or two seconds late to get to your destination, that's it. Your run is kind of almost pretty much dead. So it was just an amazing experience that I, I love sharing because people are always kind of intimidated by Japanese runners, right? They're like, ah, they'll never want to help me, right? Why would they ever want to help me try on the speed run this game and using their route? But man, what an unforgettable experience. And I remember it was so bittersweet too, because I was learning, I was learning the run and I was getting really close to um, eventually completing my first full run of the game. Cause it's a really hard run to complete. And I remember right before that, he was like, oh, I, you know, I'm not working right now, but I'm about to start working again. And unfortunately, I won't be able to to join your streams anymore. It was like it was just such a bittersweet moment. I felt like I went on this crazy journey with this guy uh, dedicating like, I don't know, at least 15 to 20 hours uh, trying his hardest to help me learn this game that apparently only me and him love. <laughs> <laughs> now i hear you i i just want to echo what you're saying because i had a very similar experience running the playstation one armored core games where a japanese runner uh you know really took the time to tell me about things that i never would have found out either and so i think the the lesson is you know language barriers be damned uh if you have someone else who has an interest in running the game you know be patient and you know enjoy that connection over running the game i think that's really the the lesson here, I mean, because there's a lot of there's lots going on this route, and I think from me watching it, there's so many parts where you had to be there at the right time of day in order to get the the route to progress, to get the the time loops that you're going through. Uh, it was just very very tight, a lot of it. Um, but I, I yeah, I'm really glad you're you're able to to share that story. Now I think right now you only, you ended up only being able to finish uh, a, a single full run. Obviously, you had. You know, you had done stuff before uh, in terms of attempts and working up. That it, it, finishing a full run itself was a lot to work up to. Uh, you know, even even before getting to you know, that that first finished attempt. Have you thought about returning to this one? I know it's a long run. You know, RPG speed runs. You know, you're, you're talking about six plus hours minimum. Yeah, I've I've always had thoughts of returning to this run because I I know I can do better, right? So the world record is just over five hours, and my run is eight hours and forty something minutes, right? So it's a huge difference. But there's a lot of factors that go into that because there there's a lot of RNG. For example, you have to play dominoes and my segment of dominoes because there's a way that you can easily get a lot of money in the game by winning and saving and winning and saving at dominoes. It just keeps growing your money over and over as your earnings increase. My dominoes segment was like over an hour because you have to win five times in a row without ever losing. Whereas world record just does it. They win all five in a row. And I asked him, he's like, yeah, that was just super lucky. So I got really unlucky uh, winning dominoes. And I spent like an hour on that segment. And there are some brutal later fights in that run where it's like three boss fights in a row. And if you lose, and it's very easy to lose uh, in one of the later phases, you know, you're losing 30, 40 minutes and having to retry it all over again. And uh, later in that game, uh, random encounters, you're so underleveled, it gets to the point where if you get into a random encounter and you fail to flee, you can pretty much just wipe your party and lose another half an hour of progress, which was the case of what happened in my run. But because of the brutal nature of that speedrun, um, I was just happy to finish a single run of that game. Uh, I didn't care what my time was, but the nice thing is if I ever go back to it, you know, the time save will be pretty immense. But de-rusting an RPG speedrun is a big time commitment, especially a game where 
it's a really hard run to memorize, so I'm always going to have to have notes because it's always a lot of this, okay, run to the end, run here at this time, run here, run there, rest for five hours, rest for seven hours, run here, do this, get this item, rest for ten hours. So trying to memorize that route, almost impossible, which makes it a very um, intense speedrun, right? It's one of those runs where I can't just chill back and read my chat because I always have my face buried in notes and you can't make mistakes, right? So there's there's this one, just as an example, there's this one sequence where your movement and the time at which you arrive in places matters so much. I call it the millisecond gauntlet, where you you spawn in this castle and you have to make this trek to another part of town, where if you make a single mistake, which costs you anywhere between, like, I don't know, three to five milliseconds, like, let's just say that you bonk a corner on a turn, and you lose half a second, that's pretty much all it takes for you to not get to your destination in time. So every time I arrive to my point of destination, I have about a millisecond to spare. And if I fail it, the run is... Um, it could die. You can make a safety save, but you have to optimally bring up your save menu and save without screwing up your movement whatsoever. Uh, so if I make a poor safety save in positioning and I reload it, it can just be impossible to continue the run, just as an example of how brutal this, this game is as a speedrun. Yeah, it's really really not kidding around. Uh, Alright, well, let's, let's get a pleasant chaser here as we're, we're finishing up on our, our sixth game here. Uh, this is a game, actually, I'm, I'm going to take one more opportunity to plug another one of your videos that just came out, which is the Xbox Memories, because you discussed OutRun 2, which is a game I primarily remember as uh, an arcade game. I, I had a, a good fortune to run into a lot of cabinets back back in the day but also more recently uh this was probably i have probably spent more time watching your stream of you playing outrun 2 than maybe anything else <laughs> it was really really fun when you were getting into it um can you talk about your experience of outrun 2 yeah so i um previous to playing outrun 2 i i never really played much of the outrun series and one day i decided to check out outrun on the sega ages switch version i was like okay i never really played outrun they just released this you know let's check it out let's let's see what it's all about i know this is a very popular series and i i really loved it like i love the music i just love the simple nature of outrun where it's just about you know the turning and doing things optimally i'm like okay this is really cool you know let's let's look into more games from this series so i the next one i looked into is outrun 2 on the xbox because people were, were they were recommending that over outrun 2006 because outrun 2006 makes certain changes and it's also quite expensive for the xbox version so i started playing outrun 2 and i just fell in love i was like oh my word i can't believe that it took me this long to find this series and i, I just i couldn't get enough of it so you know it's a very short game you know how outrun works where you just you know you go through different routes and you know going from one route it, it you can finish it in under 10 minutes easy so it was the kind of game that encouraged repeat playing so i, I said to myself why don't i just start speedrunning this and the nice thing about speedrunning it is it has a very accurate in-game timer so i didn't even have to worry about splitting or nothing it's like you know three two one go the timer just starts going and uh you know six seven minutes later you're at the finish line boom there's your speed run it's like the easiest game the speed run ever uh and a lot of people always say but wait how can you speed run a racing game isn't that the point to go fast yes that's what you do in racing games you go fast but when you put yourself into a mindset where it's like okay every millisecond counts right you would never really think of it that way 
when you're just playing it casually and casually trying to lower your time rate. There's different mindsets between really studying a game and kind of just trying to get better over time. So I found myself kind of studying Outrun to a science. I was getting to the point where Outrun 2, I should uh, reiterate, I was getting to the point where I was looking at other top runners and I was running the video in like 0.25 speed and I was looking and I'm like, okay, they hit the grass here. They lost a millisecond. Okay. This is, they start their turn here and they save two milliseconds here. And I started comparing and the more and more I played the game, I started really getting a sense for the flow of it. And uh, I could talk like I have been playing this game for 10 years and I'm like, okay, Oh, I hit that blade of grass there. Um, I'm going to be about a millisecond behind where I want to be in. I would accurately predict my times, and I'm like, okay, I'm actually starting to get really good at this. And obviously, when you speedrun a game over and over and over on stream, others are going to start picking up interest. And um, I had done things like this previously where I encourage my community to speedrun it, so I don't just sit there and run it over and over. I'm like, come on, you know, I try and encourage friendly competition. I'm like, if any of you have this game right now, pick it up. Just do some runs. See how far you can take it. Try and beat my time. And lo and behold, a lot of people answered the call in my community. Uh, the people that didn't have the game, they picked up a copy because it wasn't too expensive. And suddenly, this game that had only a small handful of runs on the leaderboard, um, I drew it by like over 100%. It went from, I don't know, like 10 runs to over 20 runs on the leaderboard all people from my community, everybody having friendly competition and trading screenshots in my Discord of like, oh, look at my new PB. You know, it was really wholesome to see everybody kind of congregating at the same time around this this one game. And it helped because I made a tutorial as well um, where I broke down, you know, a, f a five-minute run into like an almost one-hour video of step-by-step -step talking about, okay, this is how you want to do this turn, that turn. So it helped introduce people into my mindset as well for that. Yeah, it was really awesome. I think, as I said, I was watching the stream, but then I was also in your your stream Discord as well, and I and I saw a lot of that activity. And when when researching the run now for this interview, I recognized you know a lot of the, the regulars from your community on the leaderboard. And another thing I wanted to highlight too, besides just encouraging you know members of your community to get involved in speedrunning the game, is that also because the game has such an accurate in-game timer. Uh, the the I don't know if this was you as moderator who did this or if this was someone else, but for times outside of top four, video evidence isn't even required. You can just show the final the final uh, screen with with a screenshot. Right. Yeah, that was the original mods for that, and I think it's a great idea, right? Because who's really going to take the time to to Photoshop a time that isn't a super top time? So it was really accessible, and I encourage anybody else out there that's part of speedrun communities where you know if you have an accurate in-game timer encourage just taking a screenshot at the end if you know you can trust that time and you know maybe if you're in top five you have to have video evidence but it's such a great way to get people that normally wouldn't speedrun into speedrunning because it's just so accessible right you could just be sitting there maybe you only got time for a couple runs in the morning you do a couple runs oh you get a new time take a screenshot post it boom there you go um and the great thing about that is it encourages people that never even gave a thought about speedrunning to actually try it most of those people that are on that leaderboard had never done a speedrun in their life before, but now they're actually participating in a leaderboard and, you know, studying their runs. And some of those people, there's actually one person, uh, shout outs to, he used to go by John Trick Gamer, now he's Burrito John, but he still runs that game. And he recently, he recently took world record just a few days ago in Outrun 2 for, um, 
Route A automatic. Uh, there was a big war between you know people that wanted to do automatic and people that wanted to do manual. Because that's how I originally learned the game was an automatic. Uh, there's some pretty big differences with automatic and manual in that, but we won't really get into that. But it's just great to see that some of these people that I had never seen a, do a speedrun before give it a shot, and they're still playing it till today. Yeah, I think that really speaks to uh, just sort of the positive impact you can have on people by making it accessible, you know, finding games that are easy to acquire, uh, you know, making it so that your your method of submission is, is easy to use, uh, really, really just gets people going. It gets more people speedrunning, which is just exciting. I, I think that, you know, kind of put a point on our discussion of games, I think it's just so cool how speedrunning can become a lens, whether it's you know games that you're running with your community or you're connecting with someone across the world or you're doing obscure games for a big audience. Like there's just so many different ways that you can you know use that to examine your time with the game and your time socializing with other people. Uh, so excellent, excellent discussion of all these games. I want to do some some uh, warm down questions as we're getting out the the back end of this interview. Uh, I do like connecting the interviews with some some tissue together, uh, where I ask I'll ask my previous guest for a question for my next guest. And so the question that you have received from Egdysis, who was my previous guest, is uh, broadly speaking, what is the silliest game that you have ever played? <laughs> Oh man, that yeah. Sorry, Nexus <laughs> didn't know who he was giving this to. So, <laughs> um, that is, I've played so many silly games. Um, I'm just trying to quickly go through my mind here. Okay, I think I, I think I have a maybe not the definitive answer, but this is definitely mm. one that would be up there. So it's a game that only came out in Japan on the Wii, and I may get the name of this wrong because it is a Japanese name, but I believe it's called. Sakshe Ban Reina. It's a game that was a very late release in Japan where you play as um, well, you don't play as, but it's a game that only sold like 500 copies or something stupid. It's known as being one of the worst selling games of all time. And that probably is one of the reasons because it's, uh, it's a game where you just use motion controls to play with a cat in a Japanese office that uh, it's like a mini game compilation so one of the mini games you're like dodging a cat that's jumping at you in the office that's trying to hug you and then another time you're a cat on the back of a car racing down an alleyway in a, in a city with like a, a Ghostbusters type vacuum and you're trying to suck up ghosts and then the next moment you're walking on a tightrope across uh, a valley with like a deadly drop below it's just such a weird strange game that i don't quite fully understand because it's all in japanese but yeah it's it's a really weird one you can find it if you just search for uh reina r-e-n-a we and you can read up on the history on it um i just thought it was kind of interesting because it's it's one of the worst selling games of all time uh the worst selling game on the wii by far just a very strange game interesting now if you're able to uh come up with a question for a future guest and the idea here is that this is just sort of broadly a speed running or gaming question uh you know past examples have been like your favorite soundtrack uh silliest game uh if you could cross over uh, two consoles to make a new console those are just examples of some of the past ones uh do you have a question for a future guest sure my question would be which if it's a if it's a runner that has multiple runs, which of your runs has your favorite music? Okay. 
like that's a good one in-game music right yeah in in the video game yeah <laughs> not not just like you were listening to other music yeah. <laughs> and you recorded it um all right cool now i know this is probably a big subject for you because uh, i definitely feel like you you know you love to tune into the game shows and whatnot uh would you want to highlight just for people to get a sense of what you're into, maybe just name some uh, upcoming games releases that you're really excited to play. So I think the the first thing that immediately comes to mind, because we're kind of fresh off of the um, the Xbox Series X event that recently was shown, where they were like showing kind of what games are going to be coming. And one of the games that was shown in the pre-show was Balan Wonderworlds, or frequently mispronounced as Wonderland. Uh, that is probably my most anticipated game at the moment, just from a, also a casual standpoint, but also from a speedrunning standpoint. And it's the uh, it's a game from Yuji Naka, creator of Sonic the Hedgehog. And it's really his first foray into a traditional platformer in a very long time. He also, they, they worked a, a little bit on uh, Rodea Sky Soldier, but that I haven't played that quite yet. And it's definitely less of a platformer than this one. So this is sort of a spiritual successor to Nights into Dreams with a lot of costumes and transforming and collect-a-thon platforming because if there's one genre that I love and I love playing casually and as a speedrun, it's collect-a-thon 3D platformers. uh, 3D ones, specifically. And I just, I can't wait for this game. Uh, I think the speedrun is going to be amazing. 80 different transformations. I'm sure it's going to be broken as heck finding different ways to find skips in that game so yes super super hype for that otherwise just in a very general sense i am just at the moment super excited for the playstation 5 and series x um namely games like astrobots playroom which is going to be a launch game that is oh this is actually this is a great question because let me give a psa to your listeners if you're a fan of 3D platformer speedruns, um, if you're planning on getting a PlayStation 5, you get a free game built in with your console called Astrobots. Uh, I think, it, what's the subtitle? Astrobots Playroom? No, Playroom was the original release. I don't remember what the subtitle is on the new one. But it's a, it's a little 3D platformer that everybody's going to get. So I'm hoping and expecting that the speedrun community, everybody that gets a PS5, is going to hop on this game day one. And we're going to find ways to break it and run it and just get that leaderboard filled with entries because everybody's going to have it. I think the game is Astro's Playroom. is described as an Astrobot follow-up is what I'm seeing in okay, headlines yeah, here. Thank you. Yeah, it, okay. I wasn't sure if it was Astrobot or Astrobot's Playroom. I, I got the two mixed up, so that clarifies it. No, that's really cool. I, I, I and also I, I will, I will confess. You know, I, I work in pretty normal business hours, and I had you on for that whole Xbox conference, and I think I agree with you that Balan Wonderworld was definitely, uh, and it was during the pre-show, which was weird because to me it was maybe the best looking thing. But it's also not exclusive to Series X. The last thing I wanted to say on it, it's going to be on all platforms. It's just that it was shown during the pre-show for the Xbox. Right. Uh. So. I would like to give you an opportunity to obviously I think people can infer that you you stream on Twitch at this point and you also post YouTube videos. Uh certainly feel free to plug those and any anything else that you have going on. Um really these days I'm mostly just streaming even though I have been delving back into YouTube, but if you want to find me, my name across all platforms no matter where it is, Twitter, social media, Discord, whatever, it's all Pete Door and make sure it's common to misspell na- my name. Uh it's Pete Door with two Rs not two O's, so D-O-R-R, all one word. And that's where you'll find me everywhere. I'm usually streaming every day, and I'm always playing weird and obscure games casually, speedrunning. You never kind of know what to expect from my stream. 
yeah i'll have i'll have all those links down in the podcast description so hopefully whatever whatever platform the person's listening on you, you the listener will be able to uh, find those links to you know to twitch youtube twitter etc and and follow it from there uh pete thank you so much for giving me all this time and all your your years of experience it's really cool just to see the wide variety of experiences that you've had with speed running yeah thank you so much i usually don't have an opportunity to talk with people such as yourself that know and appreciate and know how to ask questions about speedrunning because typically in other podcasts or you know discussions among friends um it's usually kind of one-sided so it's kind of nice to have somebody that uh is answering and having a discussion with me about you know one of my favorite passions and hobbies now so thank you so much for having me on I'm glad to have you, but I do need I do need one more thing. In, in order to end end an episode of Overboost, uh, I I'm gonna do like a catchphrase, like uh, we're gonna boost on out of here. And then when I say that, I need you to give me your best like rocket engine booster noise, like we're like lifting off. Are you able to do that for me? I'll try my best. Okay. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Hope to see you in the future. We're gonna boost on out of here. Boo-